right, well, good morning. How are you? Good to see you. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you have chosen Vineyard uh, and the online service to join us. We are in a series we just started a couple weeks ago, uh, BYOB, Bring Your Own Bible. We're talking about paper Bibles because we know in the day, age of electronic digital stuff, we all can get something very easy. But I really have come to the conclusion that a paper Bible really can it help you to grow and particularly study. And that's what we've been talking about and are going to talk about today, how to study your Bible. So I don't want you to feel left out. I know on any given Sunday people forget paper Bibles, so we have extras. If you just put your hand up, you're going to want it because we're going to be circling things, writing in the margins, all that. So there's some, some they're running around giving this free chance to get a Bible. So, you know, you give it to somebody else after you're done today, if you already have one. <clears throat> so we encourage you, Sharon, to talk to you last week about if you don't have a paper Bible, maybe some strategies on on what to do as far as getting the right Bible that, that best fits you. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. I have my paper Bible with me. Now, as I said, today we're going to be talking about uh, how to study the Bible, and it's actually kind of a behind-the-scenes type of approach. In other words, we're not going to just talk about it. We're actually going to uh, go behind the scenes, what goes into studying the Bible for yourself, kind of like one of those... Uh, uh, you know, the making of, you know, documentaries have, you know, like there's when Sharon and I, uh, a couple years ago, three years ago, we were in uh, New Zealand. And so we went to Hobbit Town and they have a whole little thing of the making of, you know, the Lord of the Rings, the making. Now, we didn't get to like hang out with Peter Jackson or anything, but, you know, you learned some interesting stuff. Well, we're going to look at God's word and how to study it and how to study it on your own. So let me just tell you at the very front end, the secret to having a great Bible study is asking a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions that go into it. You bombard the passage or the scripture verse that you're reading with lots of questions. And because it's a supernatural book, you can never mine it for all that it has there's some verses that I've looked at for years and years and years, decades, and every time I go back and I ask some uh, uh, probing questions, I walk away with more stuff because it's a supernatural book. It's a living book. So that's the power of learning how to do a Bible study and do it for yourself. So we're going to basically look at four questions that you're going to ask, grouped into four questions. One is observation. And then one is interpretation, one is correlation, and one is application. So we'll just quickly go over that, and then we'll dive in a little deeper. The four questions of a Bible study is observation. Observation is what it says. What, what do you observe? What does it say? You just kind of look at the verse, you look at the story, and you write down what it says, kind of like cliff notes. We talked about this two weeks ago, the difference between Bible reading, which is good, and Bible studying, which is good, but they're different. Is, is when you, if you don't take any notes, you didn't study the Bible. You just read it. Great thing to do. But if you want to learn to study the Bible, you've got to have your laptop out. You've got to have your pen, your highlighter, something so that you can be taking notes. So you record. What does it say? And then the next is interpretation. What does it mean? 
What does it mean? You go, well, doesn't the Bible, uh, doesn't it, whatever it says is what it means? No, whatever it means is what it means. I mean, we have that in our own language. Think of some of the phrases we use, the colloquialisms, like, hey, you're pulling my leg, right? If I were to, if I were to write that down and send it to you in a note, and then somebody was, find, finds it a thousand years later in a different language, different culture, they're going to go, wow, they're going to think, you know, you know, that you're pulling on my foot. That's not at all what it means. In Spanish, they have a phrase for that. Uh, it's tomami el pelo, which means uh, I'm pulling your hair, which means to say, which for some of you is no laughing matter, right? You know, because you don't have any, you know. You could get slapped if you're not careful. But uh, that wasn't very nice, was it? <clears throat> Trying to keep you awake, though. You know, there's 60 different words, different meanings for the word pen. You know, you can pin the tail on the donkey. You can pin somebody in wrestling. And so how do you know? What's well, context. Context helps you to know what that word actually means, what's happening there. Then correlation. What other verses are there in the Bible to explain it? The best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. So you take an unclear passage, you don't quite understand exactly what it's saying, and then you compare it to another passage, and that brings clarity so that's correlation and then lastly application which is so important what am i supposed to do about all this information how can i change how does this affect me so let's jump in we're going to go ahead and go through those four questions take out your paper bible told you you'd need it you can share if you want if somebody doesn't have one next to you uh, you can share with them go to philippians chapter 2 that's in the new testament philippians chapter 2 So, this was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul actually wrote this when he was in Rome. <clears throat> He's in prison in Rome because of sharing his faith, because of his missionary journeys. He's uh, uh, hoping to be uh, released. And some people, and he had started churches all over. One of the churches he had started for, started was in Philippi. Philippi is in Greece. He's, of course, in Rome, Italy. And the letter, Philippians, was written to the church, to a church in Philippi. That's, and, and, and so that's why it's called Philippians. If, if Paul were to have written a church to us, it'd be like first and second Virginians. You know, but so that, that's why it's called Philippians. And Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. These were churches that Paul had started. And they're sometimes referred to as books, the book of Philippians. It's really just a letter. And what had happened was... Uh, they, they took up an offering for Paul, and they brought it to him, and he was sending, he was just like thanking them. So it's really a thank you note. So that's, that's kind of some context with this, uh, with this book. So we're going to begin, uh, in, like I said, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. There it is. Verse 19. Okay, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So Timothy's with him. He wants to send him to Philippi. And I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, referring to Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, 
He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident of the Lord that I myself will be coming soon. So he's hoping to get released, uh, that Caesar will release him and he can go and visit the churches again. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. That's that guy who took up, they took up an, a, a love offering and he was the one who brought it to him. And he wants to send him back. My, bro- my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. We'll talk about that in just a moment, how he got sick on the way. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only and not on him only, but also on me who to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. So he's talking about Epaphroditus now because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So that's our text. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you open up our eyes and help us to see with the eyes of our heart. Lord, speak to us through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you just read the verse like that, it's like, well, that's uh, just like a thank you note. He's just talking about two guys. That's not that special. If you're reading that, you might think, well, I'm going to just move right along because get to something that, you know, applies to me, get to some good stuff. But if, that w- if that's what you did, you would be wrong because there is a lot in here. So I want you to highlight while you have your Bible open. You can do that. Either circle it, have a highlighter, underline it. We mark up our Bibles here. It is a, it is a mark of pride to have your Bible, you know, chicken scratched and dog-eared. It means you're reading it. A Bible on the shelf getting dust doesn't mean a whole lot. And so here is, is it honor men like him. He's talking about Epaphroditus. Here he, he, this, he almost lost this, this good friend. This guy came out and, um, and, and he says, I want you to honor him. So why? Why? Well, we're going to look at that, kind of unpack that a little bit. Now, in, in the Bible, any verse that you look at, God will speak to you. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us how to do what's right. So you're saying even in that passage in Philippians, that's right. He says, for everything in the Bible was written to teach us so that through the endurance and encouragement of scripture, we might have hope. So what's encouraging there? Where do I get hope? Well, that's because we haven't studied it yet. You start peppering it with these questions, asking the questions of what does it say? What does it mean? Uh, are there other passages that help give greater clarity, greater context, and then how do I apply it? So let's look at those four questions for every Bible study. What does it say? So usually you just you need to read it more than once. We're not going to do that today, uh, but you read it more than once. You read it down, you read it a few times, and then you write down what you three, what you see. So three, there's more than three, but there's three obvious observations that pop out. One is as Paul intends to send two men to Philippi. He has Timothy there. He has Epaphroditus. He clearly says, I'm, I'm going to send these guys to you. He says that in these two verses. Verse 19, he says, send you Timothy. Verse 25, send Epaphroditus back to you. So Epaphroditus actually, that, that actually comes from the word 
uh, Epaphrodite, which was a Greek god, a, a god of love, which just means that he was not, he, he was probably a convert. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, he was raised in a Greek home and, uh, and uh, not a Christian family. But he endorses these guys as role models. He says they deserve honor. So what I want you to do is look at this. It says, verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him. Highlight that in your paper Bibles. That's a gr- you could easily jump over that. But if you think about it, that's an incredible endorsement. This is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived, and he's like calling him out. What if he were to say that to you? You know, you're the greatest ever, you know. That'd look pretty good, you know, wow. So he's saying, hey, this is, this is a big deal. So we pay attention. It's a big compliment. And then he really says the same thing about Epaphroditus. Welcome him and honor men like him. And so he's... So obviously this is unique. There's, there's something these guys are doing that is special. And, and whenever you see two of the same thing, like him, like him, God is telling you something. So you dial into that. You go, okay, I want to, what's, what's happening here? Well, also another observation is Paul endorses these guys as role models, right? It's very clear. He says, I want you to be like these guys. I want you to look at what these guys have done. And so that is another observation, which really leads to a third observation. What makes these guys special? What did they do? What makes them unique? Well, what we want to do is is go through this passage again and highlight. There's at least five things that these guys did that made them unique. So I want you to highlight in your Bible in verse 20, genuine interest. If you, this is out of the NIV. If you have a different translation, the word that's closely uh, resembles that, genuine interest. Verse 22, proved himself. Verse 25, you have three words. We'll look at those. They're all related. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Verse 26, longs for all of you, distressed. He's referring to the same thing there. Verse 30, almost died for the work of Christ, risked his life. Those are the five things that he is endorsing, that he's kind of calling out, saying, these guys should be emulated. These guys should be emulated. I'll leave it up there. I see some of you are still doing it. I'm very proud. Very proud. You all get an A, you know. Maybe I should become a professor someday. I don't know. Okay. Paul lists five characteristics about these two guys. So those are the observations, right? Pretty simple uh, it's, it does, you know, you're not trying to read into it at this point. You're just saying, what is happening here? What is he actually saying? That's the observation. Those are the questions that you ask. And then that leads you next to uh, interpretation. What does it mean? Okay, so if I want God's blessing in my life, if I want to have God's, uh, God's favor in my life, I need these characteristics as well. These ones that I observed. The ones that he says Timothy had, Epaphroditus had. So looking in our paper Bible, uh, Philippians uh, 20 and 20, you'll see, I already had you go there and and highlight a genuine interest. Next to that, in the margin, this is where you write and you take notes. You write in there, caring. That's what he's doing. he, He cares about them. He's showing genuine interest. And honestly, that is rare. That is rare. Now, one of the blessings about being uh, speaking English is we have so many great translations, and it can help when you read other translations because uh, the the Hebrew and Greek text, the Hebrew and Greek Bible, the original language, has 11,000 words that are used. The average 
English translation only uses 8,000. So that means you're not getting the full, the full meaning. Because we have like limited words, like love. We use love for I love Jesus, I love pizza, you know, I love my dog. I mean, they're just kind of, but in Greek, for example, there's four different words for that. There's eros, which is where we get the erotic love, a romantic love. There's storge, which is like a strong uh, family type of love. There's, there's phileo, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. There's this uh, familia, the brotherly love. There's, uh, there's eros, which is, which is God's love. And so you have all kinds of, um, or agape love, excuse me, is God's love. So you have, you have different, different uh, words that we're trying to pull from these, these rich words in the, in, the, in the Hebrew and the Greek. That's why sometimes it helps to look at other translations. For example, Timothy, looking at that same verse, Timothy genuinely cares for you while others only care about themselves. They're all wrapped up in their own affairs, the Passion says. So that's where we're kind of getting that word genuine interest. He, he cares. That makes him unique. A godly characteristic of a man is that. And, and I say a man because it's written primarily to men. It certainly applies to women. But I, I want to kind of hone in on the men that are here because I think these are areas we could grow in, being a little more caring. Sometimes that doesn't come easy for us or come natural. We so easily can fall into thinking about ourselves more than others. We're more self-centered. And the Bible constantly is helping us to say, hey, there's something bigger that you can live for. And having your eyes uh, bigger than that. And, you know, the vineyard here, we have a lot of men, thank the Lord, that are caring. They're growing in this area. They, that's why you're here, for example. I mean, many times we're, people come here and they come early in order to serve. They care about other people, people they don't even know. That's a heart that's caring. That I could be sleeping, I could be fishing, I could be golfing, I could be doing a whole bunch of other things. But I'm here to serve because I'm growing in this area of unselfishness. Now, that doesn't mean every guy is, has worked that out. There's some guys that are still stuck there. And, if, and so I want to just say for single women... Uh, you got to be careful if you're looking at dating or looking at getting married. You don't want to get you don't want to get hitched to some selfish guy. So I, I have come up with a list to help you. Okay, <laughs> here it is: how to identify a selfish man before it's too late. All right, does he only talk about himself? That is a clue, right? It's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Does he ever open the door for you? That's a good one. Has he ever brought you a meal because you're working late or you don't feel good? And you didn't even have to tell him. He just does it on his own. Does he go out of his way to make sure you feel safe? It's another good one. Does he ever ask you for your opinion on anything? <laughs> Let that one marinate. <laughs> Does he ever ask you for sex? You know, and is it, you know, hey, I, you know, instead of let's wait, no, no, no. And then if you know, listen, if, if if he's putting his own needs above you, you, he's selfish. And if you say no and he pouts, he's he's a loser. That's all there is to it. <laughs> 
will he cancel his plans if you're sick so that he can care for you? No matter how busy he is. Is he obsessed with his appearance? Lastly, will he do something that he doesn't like to do in order to spend more time with you? These are the things that you want to be looking for. So if you're single, particularly if you're single and you're young, which we actually have a lot of people that are young, and some of you are dating. We actually are going to start a small group. For those who are dating, they're not engaged, but they're just dating. And uh, it's going to be the first time we've offered this small group. It's going to be great. It's called Dating with a Purpose. It's, for, it's a small group that will begin in our semester, which is the 13th, because the week before is when our semester begins, but that's first Wednesday, so we want you to be uh, there for, for the first Wednesday of September. And so Tuesday, 7 to 9, we'll let you know more information about it. It'll be on the website. We're going to have a small group fair. But you, you, listen, if you're a godly man and you're in a dating relationship, you make sure you get your girl there, okay? You guys need to be part of that. All right, the paper Bible, uh, Philippians, verse 22. Now, I already had you highlight the word proved, proved. That's another key word that we want to, that, that Paul is, is, uh, is saying we need to be like. He says, you know what kind of person Timothy proved to be. And so put in a margin, test it. You're consistent. You're tested. In other words, you're reliable. You're determined. You're faithful. The greatest ability is dependability. You keep your words. You keep your promises. It's easy to keep your promises when everything's going smooth. When it hurts, you keep your promises. That's unusual. Consistent. That's another word for that. Just being consistent. So not only is a godly man caring... He's consistent. He doesn't act one way around one group of people and then a different way around a different group of people. Verse 25 in your paper Bible talks about different metaphors. He says brother, and then he talks about fellow worker and fellow soldier. Those actually are all have something in common with them. So right in your margin, cooperative. That's the thing that brings those together, is that you're, you're, you're a team player. You're not a solo cat, does everything all on their own. You're cooperative. He has worked and fought by my side. By my side. There's something about doing side-to-side ministry. In our ministries we do here on the Dream Team, none of them are by themselves. We always serve side-to-side because there's something that happens when we grow. Anybody who says, I don't need anybody else. I don't need church. I don't need a small group. I don't need, I, I can do things. I can do life on my own. It just means they don't know their own limitations. Because you have strengths that I need. I have strengths that you need. We need one another. You highlighted brother. That means we're in a family. You know, 133 times in the Bible it refers to brothers or brothers and sisters. Because the church is a family. It's not an institution. And in 1 Timothy 5, he says, In the church, treat older women like mothers. In the church, treat older men like fathers. Treat younger men in the church like brothers. And treat younger women in the church like sisters. Why? Because we are a family. Then he talks about fellow workers. I had you highlight that that in your Bible. And that's fellowship. In other words, we have a similar mission. 
God gives us, Jesus gave us the great commission. So we serve together, we share together. And then also fellow soldier, which is we're comrades in arms. We have the same battle, the same enemy, which is Satan. And so we need to support one another and encourage one another. Godly men get that. They know that they're part of a platoon. They're part of a team that people are counting on them. And they play an important role. They're not just going to get consumed with them, their, their own self. So that's part of what it means, Paul says. And Paul, he was, he was like legit. I mean, he was like, you know, he could do it. You, look, you'd read the Bible and say, man, he, he wrote the script. He knows how to live the Christian life. And he says, I need people as well. So if Paul needs people and he recognizes it, certainly we should. Paper Bible there in verse 26, there's a key word, distressed. I had you highlight that. Distressed, right in your margin, considerate. In other words, he was distressed because they were distressed. If you remember that part, he says, I'm concerned about how you're feeling. Having a high emotional quotient, EQ. In other words, I, I, I feel bad because you feel bad. You see, Paul's in prison. They take up a love offering. And this business guy goes, hey, I'll leave my business for three months. Because he, he has to walk the way. There's no trains and planes and automobiles. I mean, he's walking. And so he, from, you know, the middle of Greece all the way to, to Italy, there's bandits. There's robbers. You know, he, he gets sick, he nearly dies from, there's no motels, no hotels. I mean, it's tough. And so he, so when, a, that's a path for Titus, he's the guy who, who, who that businessman, he gets there and, and he's, a, he's a mess, he's had this terrible time. The, the Philippians get word of what happened to Paphroditus, they're distressed, and Paul says, I'm distressed because you're distressed. Instead of, you know, some people, they, th- they look down at people when they're, when they're emotionally distressed. Like, hey, can't you get over it? What's the problem? You know, somebody's afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, just listen, you got to have a filter. Little kids say whatever comes to their mind, right? Adults know, hey, there's a time to say something. And some people just, they say, I just say what I, what I think. That's nothing to be proud of. There's another word for that, being rude, being clueless. And so... The characteristic of a godly man is is he's considerate. I'm considerate of how other people feel. It doesn't mean I have to feel that way. It doesn't even mean I have to think it's the right way. But I am considerate. They're worried. I'm worried. They're they're afraid. I'm concerned for them. Because I care about them. Husbands, it says, be considerate as you live with your wives. It's easy to be inconsiderate in a marriage. You know, you just... Just kind of, well, you know, you've got problems, you know. Instead of being considerate, recognizing that we are different and we make decisions different on all kinds of things, shopping and uh, where we go vacationing and sex and communication. I wanted to help kind of uh, resolve some of potential marriage problems that are happening in our... So, So I wanted to show you this is a sexual and psychological makeup. And just one diagram that I, exp- I think explains a lot between men and women. Man, the sex drive there. Women, uh, it gets more complicated. I'm not sure I helped you with that, but at least you entered into my pain. You know, that's, 
some of the challenges, but we shop differently, we make decisions differently. When you're, if you're trying to uh, win an argument when you're dating, you like, guys, you guys, we have like a 50-50 chance of winning. But when you get, in, when you get engaged, it goes down to about 20%. When you get married, good luck. If you figure it out, let me know. It doesn't happen easy. Paper Bible, there in verses 27 and 30, he said, I had you highlight, almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life. And in the margin, I want you to write next to that, he's courageous. Not only is he caring and he thinks of others, he's consistent, he keeps his word. He's proven trustworthy. He's cooperative. He's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He's considerate about how other people's feels and what's going on in their emotional life. But also, he is courageous. Now, people do risky things all the time. Does that make them courageous? Just because in business, they're trying to land a big deal, or in sports, they're doing something. Last year, I went whitewater rafting in West Virginia on the Upper Gully as five class five falls and so and uh there th- that's my boat there, there there's me i'm rolling for my life but that's not what he's talking about i'm having fun and there, a guy not uh the guy right before for our on our in our group he he fell out and actually drowned to death so there's danger you know on our trip just a few minutes before us but that's not what paul's talking about paul's talking about being courageous and bold in sharing your faith. He says in verse 30, he talks about, hey, it's not just for my own personal gain or or my own adrenaline rush. No, I did it to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. He's doing it for somebody else, not for his own benefit. That makes it all different when you're committed to help somebody else out. Think again, Epaphroditus, business guy. Think of all the excuses he could have used. Hey, I got a family to raise. I can't leave my kids right now. I got a business. I can't leave that for three months. I'll come back, it's gone. When they take up an offer and they can't go and they, they say, Who will take this offering to Paul? He goes, I'll do it. He gets nothing out of it. They just trust him because he's, you know, a man of integrity. And then he has to take this long trip that costs him a lot. And it's 800 miles. Hey, if, listen, if you're a pastor, which is me, if I were to ask you, hey, could you please bring it? We're going to take up an offering. Could you please walk 800 miles to this other church to give them this offering? Would you do it? Probably not, right? You know, I don't know, Pastor. I'm pretty busy. I've got my business. I've got my kids. I've got my, I mean, we, the list goes, he was just like us. That's why Paul says he's so rare. He's unusual. He was willing to risk his very life not benefiting himself at all. Putting people before profit. Putting service before security. He risked his life. That's, that's actually a gambling word often used in the Greek. In other words, he, there was hazard that was involved in it. God wants godly gamblers. There's so many people that take risks for stupid stuff so that they can get some kind of, uh, you know, lots of views on their, on their Instagram or, or some post you know, or, or so they have bragging rights. Nothing wrong with that. That's just not what Paul's talking about when he's saying courageous, risking 
your life. It's a different animal. So that's, that's what he's talking about there. So interpretation, what does it mean? Then correlation, what other verses are there that can help me to have better clarity? Are there other scriptures that talk about uh, people of, you know, things we should honor and people? What about caring and consistency and, um, and uh, compassionate, considerate, courageous, all those things? Well, there are. Now, when it comes to the two guys he's talking about, Timothy and Epaphroditus, say, is there anything in there about those guys? Well, actually, Timothy has two books written about him, First and Second Timothy, a lot in there about Timothy. And then also Epaphroditus, later in this same book we're looking at, Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18, it talks more about Epaphroditus. But how do you really dig in, like, these five characteristics? I want to know more about them. I want to grow in that area. It's important. I want God's blessing in my life. I want to be a godly man. I want to grow in that area. Well, that's where a, uh, a Bible concordance comes in. Here's mine. So there's, there's different concordances. Because I'm using an NIV Bible, I have an NIV concordance. And it has every single word in the Bible. So I can just look it up. And, and find every word and how, however it's used. So this is very, very helpful uh, for digging in deeper. Now, and if you have a study Bible, which is different just than your regular Bible, a stud, this is my study Bible, then it has a baby concordance in the back. So not a big, thick one like that, but some of the more popular words, and that can be helpful. So you can look up things that you're interested in. I want to know more about debt. What does God have to say about that? You look up debt, and it has a number of verses. This has every verse that has debt in it. Uh, or business. I want to, how can I be successful in business? How can I be successful in life? Again, the concordance can be very helpful. And there's digital ways as well, digital concordances. That These are just three of the ones I use that can help you with the same thing. It's a word index. Every word in the Bible helps you to grow deeper. But ultimately, we want to know, what do we do with this information? Right? How is it going to change me? Because we only believe the parts of the Bible that we do. It's not what we say, oh, I believe that. Well, do you do it? No. Well, you don't believe that. We only believe the parts of the Bible we actually do. And if we read the Bible without just, and we study the Bible without doing it, we get a bigger brain but a small heart. Our goal is that they grow together. And we don't get deceived. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't merely listen to the word, but also do what it says. And so our prayer, that's why I opened in prayer. Lord, I want to be able to enlighten me. Help me to see and also do. And then you ask some questions as you're going into the application. Is there something I need to confess? Is it challenging me to confess a sin? To, uh, is there a promise I should claim? Is there a command I should obey? And there was right? Honor men like these. So is there somebody in my life who I, I need to honor, who exemplifies some of these characteristics, or maybe even all of them? Is there an example to follow? Certainly there is. Caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, courageous. Is there an attitude to change? These are the questions you ask. Do I know any men in my life who are caring and consistent, cooperative, and considerate and courageous? And how can I honor? That's making, it's, if you just close your book, okay, a good Bible study, that, that's not good. God wants us to change and to grow. So we ask these questions. What am I supposed to do? Which characteristics will I work on today? 
this week to be more caring, think about other people, be more consistent, and keep my word. If I say I'm going to be there on time, if I say I'm not going to have everybody waiting on me, I'm going to be there on time. To be more cooperative and be part of a team, to be more considerate with others' emotions, to be more courageous for the cause of Christ. These are big deals. They're rare. They were rare then, they're rare today. And in our culture, it idolizes celebrities. All of the media around promotes us doing things what's best for us. You only live once, so live a selfish life. Not give it away. Not give it away. And the truth is, whenever a culture starts to cast long shadows on small men and women, that culture is said the sun is setting on that culture nothing good and so we need people like this that can stand out stand up and be different and be godly men and women and maybe you were thinking i don't think this passage has anything to say it has a lot to say let's bow our heads and pray i did speak to some of you men this morning And I want to pray that you would take action. That you would make it your prayer to say, God, I want to be proven worthy of honor. Maybe kind of let the past be past. Maybe that's the best way to start and begin today. You can't change the past anyways. So beginning today, would you say, God, I want to be more caring about people. I want to make that my business. Would you say, God, help me to be consistent, faithful, especially in tough times. Would you say, God, help me to be cooperative, to serve on the dream team, be in a small group, to be a brother, to be a co-worker, to be a co-soldier. People need what I have, and I need them as well. Guys, would you pray, Lord, help me to be considerate of other people's feelings. their worries help me not to see it as weakness but as an opportunity to be compassionate and more godly you say God help me to become courageous walk 800 miles and put my business on hold if that's what it takes. Lord, I thank you for Timothy and Epaphroditus and the incredible model they are for us. They set a pretty high standard, but it's good to have the right kind of high standard, not long shadows of small people shallow people, selfish people, celebrities that 
often in our culture we lift up so high. They don't have any of these characteristics. You know, God is calling some of you, you're here today, to hear what God has to say. He's been speaking to you because he's asking you to take your next step in your journey of faith. And that's to put Christ first in your life. Why not do that right now? Right where you're at. If you would, just bow your heads. I know most of you are already. Just close your eyes. And I'm going to invite you to just pray along with me and say yes to Christ. Say yes. I want to receive Christ in my life. I want to be close to God. I want his word to burn hot inside of me. I want to be directed by him. And if that's you and you're saying, Andy, I want to pray with you, just let me know right where you're at. Put your hand up. Say, I'm going to pray with you right now. Anybody else saying that? That's me. Okay, put your hand down. Pray this with me. See, dear God, today, cause your spirit to bring new life into my life. So I would hope again that I would dream again. You say, cleanse me of my past.